Welcome to The Intersection, a hub where we celebrate growth, service, authenticity, and community. A year after the start of this global pandemic, in the middle of Ontario, Canada's second lockdown, we talk about how to combat pandemic fatigue, how to call on resilience and grit without it becoming, as Paul calls it, a tool of toxicity, and what is the balance between comforting your team and leading your team. We are especially excited today to welcome charity executive, father of three, Star Wars fan extraordinaire, and one of the kindest, gentlest friends we know, Rakesh Lakhani, to join in the conversation. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing really good. Excited to continue our conversation. Yeah, today's going to be a great one, right? We've got a real treat coming with us today. we are sharing this conversation with our friend Rakesh Lakhani. And for those of you who may not have had the opportunity to meet Rakesh yet, he's a kind and gentle man, a father of three incredible boys, and he's a Star Wars fan, if any of you want to share that with him. He's also a charity executive, executive director of Future Possibilities for Kids, an active volunteer in the sector, and um, we're very happy to have him. Welcome, Rakesh. Are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. Great to to spend some time with you both. Um, well, we're, we're happy to have you here at the Hub, and, um, and as you know, this is a place where we celebrate candid, authentic conversations, and you're not getting paid, so you're welcome to, you know, speak your mind, and we encourage that here. Um, you shared with me last week an article from Harvard Business Review about how to lead when your team is exhausted and when you are too, I think, or yeah, I think it was. I think that's what it was called. We'll we'll put the link to the article in the show notes. Um, but in the article, they talked about pandemic fatigue, compassion fatigue, mental fog, work life blur, um, and it just feels like the entire world is tired right now. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> no, noticed it for, for living it every single day. I think is uh, is the is the reality. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I'm not sure that people know this, but I think because in that article, I did read that um, insurance companies had been surveyed and there are 270 insurance companies around the world who are now thinking uh, or who now see mental health as being a more dangerous threat than smoking, which kind of blew my mind. So before we get into this, I wondered if you would just Take a second and, and let me know how how are you both doing. Well, uh, for for me, I mean, I think um, first of all we have to recognize that you know our relative situations, like everyone has their own situation going on. So there's it's there there's many different kind of things going happening. For me, definitely leading an organization in the face of a pandemic. Uh, doing my best to support our staff, be of service to the communities, raising the funds necessary to continue programs and engaging with donors. And that's like the, the, the public side. And then at home, having three young kids and my wife working as, uh, at the hospital, uh, you know, it's definitely like a lot of factors convening uh, all at once that just really um, challenge you to, to, 
to <laughs> challenge you to a place where you're you're not even sure if you can sustain it. So I think that's a lot of what the article you mentioned, which was uh, which was sent to me by by Ken Mayhew actually, and it's resonated a lot because it gives permission to say, yeah, <laughs> there's a reason that you're feeling all this stuff because you're in an impossible situation. So it's okay. Don't feel like you have to keep pushing on to the point where you're going to collapse but yeah. so that was a, it was a good wake-up call but yeah. Yeah, definitely it's a it's a trying time i'm not gonna try to hide that yeah my mantra has been i'm not okay and that's okay yeah it's okay not to be you okay know, it's uh that's been the challenge and again it's, it's so perfect you sent this article because it's been making the rounds mm -hmm. and i'm glad that a lot of people have read it and have reflected on it and we've got some 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 good thoughts on it. Again, you know, for me too as well. You know, managing things where my spouse is out of the home, I'm homeschooling a couple of kids, and uh, and it's a mess. And it, you know, it's not working, and that's not that's okay. Uh, again, I, I I liken it to a, somebody who said, you know, I've got an open wound, and people keep asking, "You good?" You're like, "No, it's an open wound. It needs time to heal. We got to keep moving with it. It's not going to be okay." You know, and I was sharing with both of you with respect to the article, a lot of interesting pushback over the weekend, people saying that resilience is part of the new toxicity and that people saying, you know, you got to be resilient because you, you kind of got to just got to suck it up so we can keep going. And I'm glad and so perfect sent to you by Ken Mayhew, right? This is partly what our colleagues at the Association of Fundraising Professionals, what we do for each other. We look out for each other. We recognize what's the reality of the profession. I'm very you know, grateful to have a leader in my own team who was constantly saying to each of the team members, stop, we're pushing forward. Yes, we need to, but stop. Where are you? How are you with this? Are we doing the right things? And has it learned very quickly because also my CEO was connected to Volunteer Canada before to openly say, what are we doing? What are we stopping? How are we, you know, are we, we you can't, you gotta be all healthy if you wanna roll the boat. So that's a piece about where resilience is in an adapting time. Well, I want to get back to that resilience, Paul. Well, you said so many things there. So let's start with this idea of compassion for the team, compassion for ourselves, and balancing that compassion. They talked about the, the um, I need to look at my notes, the difference between urgency and importance, and the idea of comfort versus containment. So with, with respect to what's urgent and what's important right now, I, it made me think about um, when I was an interim executive director with an organization that was in free fall. And I I've, may have said this to you guys before, but um, I'll put it on record now. They, they would come in with things like the database and stuff that was kind of important to them in their world. And I'd say, um, you know what? I am here and the curtains are on fire and you are coming at me right now with a leaky toilet. So if we could just all put out the fire and the curtains, then we can manage that leaky toilet. Or can we do that together? And so how do we right now figure out what's the leaky toilet and when, where are the curtains on fire? And containment, you know, that's a magic word in this because that's the challenge when there are so many different things, work, home, and actually for the first time, a lot more people started reflecting on self mm -hmm. than I've ever seen before. I'm very excited and happy about that because people realize the tank is empty. 
And there's only so long I can coast on fumes. Mm-hmm. You know, Rakesh, I'd love to hear from you on that containment piece. Because I thought of you at, this, at the start of this pandemic with an army of volunteers and an entire ecosystem that thrived between face-to-face and connection and logistics and having to train, you know, change into that new mindset, but then how to contain those three worlds of being an executive director and all the everything alongside with governance, the operational side, and then being a human being with with a limited amount of gas in the tank. Well, the the truth is, and I, I see a lot of folks uh, acknowledging this, which is good <laughs> to do this publicly. Is just I just wasn't doing very good at it. I mean, I think that's something that that none of us are infallible. We all face our respective challenges, but I think I wasn't very good at it for a long time. And I still don't know that I've I've got it down pat. But I think one thing we have tried to do, and you know, is really talk about. And so at home, it was like, okay, what are the three things we need to make sure that we're keeping mind of for the next month? Everything else we can let go. So being very very clear and having explicit conversations about that, it's been helpful. So during this, uh, and and first of all, I have to say that we're blessed that be able to be able to even work from home and do this because I know that's not the position for many yeah. folks who are on the front lines or having to be in person and, and putting themselves at risk every day. So account that as a blessing. And also saying, well, mental health of our children is gonna be is gonna be critical and uh, making sure they still continue to enjoy learning and making sure that you know our relationships internally are, are strong. So you can do the same thing in the work environment too and say, well, what are the things we really, really need to focus on? And I remember at the beginning of this pandemic, and first of all, I, full kudos to the team that I work with every day because they are just incredible humans. And while we were all going through our respective grieving processes for the way life used to be and what was to come for the next while. We knew it was going to be a while. We knew it wasn't a three-week March break or a one-month thing. Um, Everyone found their own way to contribute while also we gave that space to say, well, weekly conversations about what's happening. What are we, what are we feeling right now? What's let's, let's have that open conversation so we can come to the table as human beings first. And I remember talking to a program director who is incredible saying, please just whatever we need to do for the staff, just that's what I want you to focus on. I'm going to do what, tell me what I can do. And let's, let's just focus there because how can we be in service to the community if the staff is, is crumbling? That means that you might miss opportunities for uh, engaging externally. Sometimes you might miss some fundraising opportunities. You might miss some media stories. I don't know. But the thing is, if you try to do it all, you will, you will crash. And that is hard for us to do in a sector where that's been the norm for so long. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is not new. This is magnified and amplified and there's more space to look at. This is definitely not new in our space. Yeah, we're very much used to uh, living in, and we did, we talked about this when we did that session at AFP, the survival versus thrival. And so many people working in the charitable sector are living in this survival mode where they just are dealing with urgent and important all the time. So maybe that is one of the blessings is that we've been, we, we now are forced to bring our humanity into play and admit that we are human beings with needs and limited capacity and, and, and we, we need to take care of each other there. As a leader, you know, I think about my son, Chase. He's never going to listen to this podcast anyway, but, (laughs) but, but in our home, we have five kids living here last spring at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a university convocation, a grade 12 graduation, a grade eight graduation, a grade nine trip to Europe, a grade eight trip to Ottawa, four jobs were lost. The entire house was just grieving, right? 
But there got to be a point where, particularly with the kid who just graduated from university and thought this was going to be his year just to blow off and party and move to the mountains and have, you know, a free year. Well, we're, here we are 12 months later and he's walking around the house going, I can't believe I wasted, I lost a whole year of my life to him, you know, so every once in a while, I'll let him get into that pit of self-pity. But then every once in a while, I'm like, have you exercised today? Are you, and, and he is now taking an entrepreneurial diploma because what else is he going to do, do? So he's doing certain things to just stay on top of his mental fitness. Long way around to saying, okay, it's fine to, to acknowledge and honor the fact that the team needs to be more human and some things need to slide. But then there is this, as a leader, there's also, we need to create fiction. People do need things to do. People do need tasks that are manageable so that they can keep moving forward. And how do you know when to call on either side of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the, the fascinating question in all this is that that was really what the article brought to light is for those of us that come from that place of um, compassion you know, first and we're centered around that. And I remember telling someone uh, that uh, if they were worried about being too compassionate, um, my boss is too empathetic and concerned about my well-being, said no employee ever, right? <laughs> so it's, 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 I just, I don't know that you can go wrong with that. I think though what, what this conversation is bringing to light is that now that we've been, we're in stage two, if you want to call it that, the first one was just pure adrenaline, right? Like I remember the first few months, I was just, I don't even know where I was getting all that from, but I know that I paid for it when uh, things started to settle down just a little bit that I was just like, I was paying for that. So we're in the second stage where normally I I could take a couple weeks off in the the holiday season. I come back into January and I'm renewed and I'm recharged and I'm ready to take the next year by storm. Mm -hmm. And I came back with the tank already like low. So Mm -hmm. we're recognizing that, but what is it that's going to motivate you to to do something is that challenge. So if you are ensuring that you are um, not taking away the opportunity for people to, to lead and to, uh, to do what fulfills them and recognizing and, and use their strengths, because that actually is what this article was saying, and I agree with this, is going to actually get us through the rest, the rest of this, yeah. is having a place to look. Because the initial, um, there's still so much going on, but that kind of initial burst of like, wow, what is going on here? We've had almost a year to sort of try to reconcile this and it's still a challenge. But now if we're going to get to the next part, this is not going away for a while and, and for years potentially that it's calling on us to use a different set of, of, of things internally. So if all we do is, okay, it's going to be all right and grieving and that kind of language, it's just going to get tired. People are like, well, no, but I, I need, I need something to give me that drive because I can't do a lot of the things that normally would fill me up. So now I can, I can seek that being mindful of course, that we're still not pushing people to the point of burnout and that's critical too. in all this. Well, it's such a balance, right? but we yeah. do need some structure. And I know Paul, you chatted, you, you, you mentioned this concept of resilience now is becoming a dirty word. And, or and that resilience does, is becoming a tool of toxicity. Tool of toxicity. You've got to not let it become one of the, the weapons used to suppress us. We've got to hold on to resilience as the good thing that it is, but not let it become a tool of people to, again, to become part of the armor, to become part of the, the right. machine. Yeah, that idea of manning up. That's Remember so that hard. horrible, horrible phrase, man up. Or suck so, it up. All of them, you know, suck it up. Put on your big girl <laughs> panties. Yeah. I, have you ever heard that one? Put on your big I, girl panties. I have, and it's always awkward. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I'm glad that, that Rakesh used some of those key kind of phrase. I'm glad that we also are recognizing this is phase two. This is mm-hmm. pandemic 2.0. I think we have turned a corner and this is a new chapter. 
to say we can't do it on adrenaline alone. I think a lot of people crashed either in the summer or in the winter this year. Uh, but I also love that early on, Rakesh, you were talking about grieving as a leadership concept, mm -hmm. about holding space for that. I remember being on a national uh, AFP call and you were talking about your team crying in some staff meetings to say we held space, we let people grieve that loss. And then we said, how do we rally as a team? And that's a very big leadership exercise that I think a lot of leaders in nonprofit never gave themselves permission to do. I think a lot of leaders hold it on their shoulders that I've got to drive the bus and know and have the strategy. And I, one of the things that's really surprised me is how much exhaustion and recognizing how much we lost gave us permission to be a bit more human. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit happy for it, mm -hmm. even for myself. I mean, you know, y'all, you both know I struggle with that. How do I ever free myself from the suit and tie? And the and the exhaustion gave me that permission. Mm -hmm. So I think we're in a new place and having to lead through it together. I'm glad that we have community mm -hmm. to help each other. You know, Rukesh, you don't necessarily recognize this, but a lot of people in small charity land as EDs look to you for that that peer permission, recognition. That's a human. I can be human. That's why I think both of you in your role as EDs have helped a lot of people to see themselves and be seen and say, okay, I could do that. You know, so that's a really big part of, of 2.0. Well, no, thank you for that. I mean, I think, I think also I'm glad to, to, to share and try to try my best to be open. And also the piece you talked about earlier, I definitely do not have all the answers. I've been consulting, uh, for the first few months, I was kind of felt like it was I was an island just trying to get every everything uh, through the works. But uh, a few months in, was like I can't I can't do this. I need to talk to the people who give me uh, strength, who who support me uh, mm -hmm. unconditionally, who just and and I want to do that. And I I want to be there for others if that's what what we can do for each other. So, Rakesh, so, say, could you say more there? Let's unpack a little bit of the the actual granularity. Yeah. What does that look like? Who did you turn to? What are the mediums? Because I know we have a couple WhatsApp groups. Uh, and what's the medium to plug into support for you as an ED? I think, I think um, of course, everyone's going to know what works for them, but there's certain people that have just been steady people in my lives. I mean, both of you included in terms of the, the value you've, you've brought into my life, the, the support you've provided and recognizing that you can't, uh, we're, we're social beings. Mm -hmm. So you can't turn into your shell and say, I just can't engage with anybody because you're like, there's no time, but it's almost like you can't afford not to do that. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just starting to, and people were very understanding. Like they didn't hear from me for weeks. So they didn't, I didn't respond to an email, which was the real, right? Which yep. is always a tricky thing to keep up with everything. But I was just like, you just might not hear from me. So people are like, oh my gosh, don't worry about that at all. But so it was being honest, being open, but then starting to ping people and saying, I really miss Chas. Do you have some, some space for us to share? Not just for me to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, yeah, of course, Zoom has been good in some ways, but I'm really more of a phone call person because then the other person, we could go for a collective walk together. We, If that was possible, we could just, you know, I could be doing dishes and stuff in the kitchen and doing all, the, all those types of things at the same time. So we really... Um, giving each other permission to be human and the people closest to me, you know, people do that well. Uh, and also engaging with, if there are groups that are out there, um, there was um, Michael Prosserman, uh, who is incredible, the head of Epic Leadership, uh, had put together some of these groups for leaders in the sector to, there was no cost. He wasn't charged. He was just saw yeah. the need here Epic and leadership. created these groups yep. for, for us to just come together and talk about what we're, what we're dealing with. And these are people I've never met before. And some of them become, uh, you know, contacts and friends and, uh, and, and mentors, 
uh, that was just a few months ago. Yeah. But so it's like there are people out there trying to convene people. Um, but I think if you're not looking for it, I think that's part of it. Then you won't. And see then it shout there. out to Michael. Bless him. He spilled uh, his Michael. secrets right in a new book, Building Unity. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we need more leaders to do is to actually share the physicality of how they do it so others can learn from them. Right. I, I was uh, trying last year. I know you tried a digital assistant. Right. Uh, and uh, some of that stuff. We've got to share with each other how we're hacking our way to survival. Well, that takes us to a wonderful. I do want to pick up on that resilience piece because I think mm -hmm. that's really important. But where the natural arc of this conversation is taking us to have you observed other organizations or I mean, personally for myself, the intersection, stopping to really think about my business and what I need from life. Um, that's how I'm building back better. And I know, and the article also mentioned that there are organizations who are going to need to create systems and structures and opportunities to take advantage of this massive tsunami of activity when this whole thing is over. So have you seen any examples of that within our sector or within our community? Let me ask a different question. What are you or what have you observed happening that you think will benefit organizations after this is over? Wow, that is a that is a big question. I mean, well, first of all, the resilience piece, I think, is important because there's another aspect of this resilience piece, which is that when we individualize this, say you need to be stronger, you need to do these things that help you continue forward without addressing the things that our own sector and our own leaders and our own organizations are doing to make that worse and to perpetuate it, it's, it's a losing battle. Like you mm -hmm. can be as resilient as you need to, but if you're experiencing racism, sexism, ableism, you're experiencing being overworked, exploited within your organization, then, you know, you can be as resilient as you need to be. Those are not situations that are, are going to be favorable to, to, to well-being. So sure. I, I think that's, that's a one piece in this. So what, I, what I'm hoping to see from organizations, and I'm including when I always say when I'm talking about stuff like this, that I'm including myself, my learning is far from done. But how are organizations having this sort of reckoning internally to say, how do we treat our staff? How do we treat and when work with the communities we serve, who's centered in this conversation? Is it the donor? Is it the leadership? Is it the board? And I understand that we're all part of the puzzle, but I think for a lot of organizations to um, take a step back and see how are we treating, just how are we treating people and how are we part of the problem? Um, I think that that's actually going to be something that will help the situation because when you center staff and your decision-making and you center the communities in your decision-making, then you will have you will make better decisions that will lead to a more positive environment, and that's more important now, of course, than you know now more than ever. You know whatever mm -hmm. that. I try not to use that term, but it's true. Yeah. It's that well, is so critical. Here's one example. I am just finishing up work with an environmental organization on a strategic plan, and as a board of directors, you know the committee put forward we're going to com combat systemic racism as an organization and we're going to make the mental fitness of our staff a priority and i thought there's no way the board's gonna you know this <laughs> this is so off mission but uh, that's the skeptic in me but we boldly put it forward and the entire board of directors said yes we are responsible for creating a healthy workplace for our staff to work in and yes we are responsible for combating systemic racism at every opportunity and we commit to doing it 
And I think that we are going to see more and more organizations lean into that. Although, let me put out a warning. Oh. One of the greatest wisdom words I heard from uh, Matt Galloway of The Current on CBC when they said, tell me words that you live by. And he said, hard things are hard. Mm. And again, uh, Brene Brown talking about, you know, F and first times and giving ourselves permission to say, you're about to do a hard thing. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be easy. And you're going to have to hold space for it not to work and be difficult. One of the excited things I've seen leaders be open to is a community conversation about how we're going to do it together. How are you coping? How's your board dealing with it? How are your staff dealing with it? And the way I've seen actually the two of you do it in a way that we never got to do before is this community conversation. So sure, the Intersection Hub is one of them. But, you know, uh, Kimberly, you've been seeing some incredible success on Clubhouse. I know. I'm just dying to mention it. It's wacky. (laughs) It's bizarre to me because people were not doing this before. They were not giving themselves self-permission to admit weakness, to admit struggle, and to show up. We, the three of us, have held sessions at conferences about resilience and personal effectiveness and then been alone in that room because no one gave themselves permission to show up or they thought my boss will not support me to be here. And Rakesh, you're hosting what I have now branded as Lakani Live sessions at conferences and just curating where people are at live on the call. This would have never flown years ago. And again, people wouldn't have shown up with the comments, with the sharing, with the challenges. And so all of a sudden, when we have this new environment of self-permission and dialogue, I think we're, we're moving faster towards the solutions, towards community resilience. Mm-hmm. Rakesh, I know you have something to say about, about the, the difference between individual and organizational resilience. Share with our listeners more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's um, part of that piece around we as individuals, yes, of course, we need to equip ourselves with tools to to do better, whatever self-care looks like for you. And we also acknowledge that self-care is not possible for everyone the same way, but whatever it is you need to do to to be fulfilled and be effective at what you do and take care of yourself, great. And at the same time, again, the organization, um, so there's, there's two elements of this. One is the organization's ability to succeed in the future, but the other is what the impact the organization has on individual resilience. So I've already spoke about that. But as an organization, uh, what I noticed during the pandemic or the start of the pandemic, and by the way, it shouldn't have taken a pandemic for us to like have to deal I know, with some of this, but or come this come I forward, mean, but it did, it did. Mm-hmm. So let's take that yeah. as it is. But I'm like, wow, like really, that's what it took. Treat your workers well, you know, yeah, consult your community. Like, wow, I, those are, I didn't realize those things before, you know, they were hidden for, for good reason and, and who benefits from that. But that's a side, a side thing. I saw during the pandemic that the organizations that seemed to fare the best were the ones that had already done a lot of the groundwork. And it's kind of mean to say, well, you should have done these things years ago. So I would not say that to anybody. Um, And that's not what I'm saying now. But I think there's certain things we've known that lead to success and we're not being focused on because of the scarcity mindset that we have within our organizations where we don't have the resources, we can't get them. And I know some of that's imposed on us and the charity sector is in a weird space. I get it. But we, uh, as an organization, don't do the things that I saw led to success. For example, diversified uh, fundraising, uh, deep relationships uh, in the community and with donors and whoever else, uh, strong staff culture, a clear direction of where you want to go, adaptability. These are all strengths that can be built within to organizations and you, they take runway, they take time. So now all of a sudden the pandemic hits and those things are not in place. It's really 
difficult to just sort of like change things very, very quickly. So I think for me, it's like, what can we learn from this round so that we take all those learnings and say, oh, the next time this happens, it happens every what, 10, 15, 20 years, something's going to happen yeah. that we didn't expect that we are not sitting here and trying to learn the same lessons all over again. Absolutely. Okay. So Larry Smith, a uh, uh, professor at the University of Waterloo at the alumni event this past year, gave a fabulous talk uh, on Zoom about the fact that, yeah, this does happen every 10 years. So what what do you what are you doing now to prepare for next time? And I'm not going to give Paul the opportunity to talk about the importance of building a legacy program right now, because we'll just go. I was going in another yep. direction. I was the gonna other... be about Star Wars and cutting open. Don't the... put him in a box. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the 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 I think it's worthwhile for people to review Angela Duckworth's uh, work really? on grit. Yeah, because she and we'll put you know if you don't have time to read the book, I'll put the six minute TED talk in the in the show notes. But Angela's work, Angela, I don't like I'm she's my best friend. No, <laughs> you know. Anyway, her work ha was really. Uh, interesting way of looking at the importance of grit for success. So bad things are going to happen to you, but it's how you bounce back for those bad things. And it's looking at pacing yourself that this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? So where do you want to be at the end of that marathon? And there will be failures and adversity that come at you along the way, but it's those folks who are able to call on their grit and go, okay, that happened. Let's do better next time. Let's bounce back better next time. And I think her work applies to our sector really well because she doesn't pretend that we're for profit and have a ton of resources. Right. She's very much about the MacGyvering to say, look, what you got in the room, mm -hmm. what can you do from there? Right. And right. again, I refer to it as cutting open the Tauntaun uh, from Star Wars when he was when he was going to die. And he was like, look, what do I got? What can I do right here? Now, granted, uh, you thought they smelled bad on the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just got to remember too that this is all going to smell bad. It's going to be messy as all hell. And we've got to give ourselves space for that. Absolutely. Right. That's the thing she talks about too. give yourself space to fail. It's not always going to work. That's the part that I hope that everybody gives themselves some self permission for, for this next phase. We're trying things. It's brand new. We haven't lived through this. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the part, if we can say to folks where there's not a lot of space in a lot of our professional communities to say, all right, you know, it's going to be gross but cut open the tauntaun to survive. Yes, life is messy sometimes, right? Yeah. You got to make a meme for that. I can see the meme forming in Rakesh's head. I, yeah, I'm not, I, Paul's a real Star Wars fan up in here, for sure. I would not have brought it cutting open the top. That's very creative. I, but it's, you know, I guess the other question is that, you know, why, why don't we have somewhere better we crawl into? But I guess if you have a tauntaun and a lightsaber, they actually did have a lightsaber at the time. I'm going to be. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, that's what he did to open it, right? Remember, yeah. it's a... Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> sorry, okay, that's a very. No, I'm very, just uh, gonna let you guys off. go down yeah. this rabbit hole. No, no, no. I, rabbit hole for a minute. <laughs> we, 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 we will. We will get lost down. We will get lost down there. Yeah. But like the fact that you have to, I think, embracing the messiness. I think that is a really, really important piece. Again, as leaders, you feel like this is okay. It's old school. It's old school leadership. 
yeah. um, that you feel like you have to have all the answers and every, you're going to stand on the top of a mountain and point forward and be like, everyone go forth upon my direction. Like that's not, you know, yeah. that's not how things work. It's, it's much more consult. Yeah. You make tough decisions, but it's much more consultative and, and much more open and much more uh, uh, flattened as an organization. I think that's ha what's happened to us is that, yeah. you know, we, we look at, you know, who's, where the key decisions be make, being made, where's the input coming from. And I hope every organization sees that your staff are the ones that have so much of the answers. You're just maybe either a not giving them the space or the safety to, to be able to say, to, to come forward, number one. And number two, when things do come forward, you're not embracing and helping those ideas flourish and giving them space to breathe. And I think that that is where the real answers come from, because as a leader, you, you're, you're, you do not have all, you don't have all the answers, especially right now. There's so much unknown. So just by saying, Hey, we don't know everything, but what's the best thing that we know at this time? And what's the best decision we can make at this time? And we're going to be okay with the outcome. You're not going to be penalized because you made a decision with incomplete information. Mm -hmm. I think that's another important piece is that people know that when you talk about failing, I agree with that. And you also need to know that when you fail, that you're going to be supported and encouraged that that's that's a piece i think is often missing yeah. people are like, oh just go fail and it's all good I, and I, I agree that mentality but if you don't have people in your life or more importantly an organization and leadership that won't you know rake you over the coals for yeah. you know for and for, for having shout out to the groups that are doing this the powers that be are starting to talk this way so you know community foundations canada philanthropic foundations canada groups like ontario nonprofit network calgary chamber of volunteer organizations a lot of the people who've been the powers that be are very clearly opening up shared spaces to have these conversations right now. And I think that's really applaudable. Yeah, it's as leaders, we need to set the tone to help other leaders create a safe place for their humans to be human, right? Yeah. And I think uh, for anybody listening to this podcast, I, I'd like to encourage if there's anybody listening to this podcast. Uh, They'll be there. They'll be there. But if you are feeling a lonely, traumatized, isolated, a lack of meaning, and really disconnected, please uh, reach out to any one of us through multiple ways, either through Twitter or email or the Intersection Hub uh, charity or clubhouse or, you know, Paul's on Twitter, Rakesh is at the end of his phone. Um, please reach out and, and know that your mental fitness is incredibly important to the world. And we all need to take care of each other right now. There we go. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us, Rakesh. Thanks for the, the platform. It was a pleasure. And uh, good luck to everybody out there. You know, even if I'm not there with you, thinking of you and please do like let's let's just continue to support each other this was this was great thanks paul and kimberly we'll see you on the next screen <laughs> all right enthusiasm is common endurance is rare this is a quote from angela duckworth who we talked about in the session when it comes to grit I think it's really important that while we're passionate about making change as a sector, we're excited about the good that we can do, if we're not simultaneously thinking about how our team is going to make it through difficult times and not only survive, but be thriving through that and being fulfilled and, and still feeling rewarded and looking forward to doing this work, then we've, we've missed something there. That's why I feel like this quote is so relevant and powerful to the discussion that we've just had. 
Rakesh, as always, you are very generous with your time and those are great words of wisdom. Thank you all for joining us today. We look forward to continuing the conversation, so please visit intersectionhub.ca and join our community. Have a great day, everyone.